Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hey friends, Sarah McKenzie here. Wow, there are so many new listeners to the podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Read Aloud Revival. This is a podcast that gives you the inspiration and the tools you need to make reading aloud a central part of your family life. There are tons of awesome things happening here at the Read Aloud Revival. So before we launch into our conversation with today's guest, I'd like to take a brief moment to tell you about them. I get asked all the time if I could please, please, please provide transcripts for podcast episodes. So I wanted to let you know that those are on the way and some other goodies too. I'll be sharing more about that and how you can get in on the action as we close out 2014 and head into 2015. But for now, I'll just say that 2015 is going to be an awesome year for building up your family culture around books. If you haven't gotten your free Read Aloud Revival Jumpstart Challenge materials yet, go get them. What are you waiting for? Head to readaloudrevival.com and you can grab your copy of an e-guide that walks you through how to make reading aloud a habit in your home, even if all you have is five minutes a day. There are also some printable worksheets and charts, a downloadable audio file, and access to the private Facebook community, which is really just a crazy awesome place to hang out. There are also some exciting things happening here at the Read Aloud Revival coming up just around the corner, and people who have gotten in on the Jumpstart Challenge are going to be the first to hear about it, so make sure you're signed up. Again, you can do that at readaloudrevival.com. Okay, enough housekeeping. Today's show is such a good one. I'm so happy to introduce you to today's guest, Caroline Star Rose. So let's get this episode going. I do want to warn you, there are a few times during the interview where Caroline's connection gets just a smidge fuzzy. It only lasts for a couple of seconds each time, and I don't think you'll mind it too much, but I just wanted you to know that it does happen a couple of times. Trust me, the episode is worth listening to for sure, even with a few snafus mixed in there. Caroline is the much-beloved author of Maybe, a novel written entirely in verse. It has been described as part hatchet, part Little House on the Prairie, part Out of the Dust, a story of courage and hope written entirely in poetry. Amazing. She's got a couple more books coming out in 2015, and I'm reading the galleys of one of them right now. My oldest daughter whipped through it in no time and brought me the book with this completely satisfied smile and told me, Mom, you're going to love it. And I thought that was a pretty good endorsement. 
So I thought it would be fun to chat with Caroline about reading verse aloud, about how to get started with introducing our kids to poetry if we don't feel like we have much experience with it ourselves, and about what inspires her writing. So Caroline, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. I'm listening to your description and I'm just swooning over here. Give your daughter a hug for me. (laughs) I will. And you know, that's a pretty good endorsement from her because she loves poetry. I wish I had developed a love for poetry like she has because it's, yeah. So when she brought me the book and said, you're going to love it. It's so wonderful. And she keeps asking me, what part are you at? What part are you at now? (laughs) It's great. So let's get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay, I am a former teacher. I taught middle grade social studies and English all over the country here in New Mexico. And then my husband, who's a pastor, I put him through school. I put him through seminary in Florida. So I taught in Florida. And then he took his first pastorate in Virginia. And I taught there as well. Then we moved to Michigan. And then we moved to Louisiana, where I taught again. And so we have two boys who are 11 and 13. So we've got two middle schoolers this year. And that's kind of the Rose family in a nutshell. Very good. So I am so intrigued by this idea of entire books written in verse. And I have never seen anything like it before reading your books. So I'm wondering what that process was like when you were deciding to write your first book in verse. Well, I'll first start by saying, I know sometimes for readers, it is kind of a new experience, the verse Verse novels have probably been around, probably the book that is most well-known is one that you mentioned, Out of the Dust, which won the 97, written in 97, won the 98 Newberry. Okay. And there are one or two before that, but that's really kind of the first book that broke on the scene and was well-known. And I have to confess, the conventional rule of thumb when you're writing any sort of format or genre is to read at least 100 books in that style so that you are really immersed in it and you know what you're trying to do. Mm Mm-hmm. I had read two verse novels before I wrote Maybe, oh, well. which is one of those. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things where I should say, do not try this at home right, before right. you continue. The reason is I was never going to write a verse novel. I had no intention of doing that. And so I like to kind of describe it as, you know, the verse found me. I had no idea I was going to write this way. What happened? I'd certainly done, you know, my share of reading and historical novels. I had done all sorts of research. I spent about four to six months, I think, for maybe in the research. And then I sat down and started to write. And I was really, really frustrated with the distance I felt between the ideas in my head and the things that I was putting on the page. I mean, it just, it was not the story that I was imagining. So I set my writing aside and I went back to my research. And what I found specifically, in a, there were a lot of books I was reading, but there was one that I really loved. It was called, oh gosh, let's see if I can pull this out. Oh gosh. The Keep This Only to Yourself the private writings of Midwestern women, which I just love that because I'm an incredibly nosy person. So I was reading these, <laughs> these firsthand accounts, you know, these letters and these journals of these Midwestern women. Right, right. I went back to the introduction of this book and the editor had kind of determined some of the things that she found in the private writings of these women. And they were things like really spare language, really controlled language. It was really important to be able to say even indirectly, nothing has happened. Because if something happened, something oftentimes was a bad thing. Okay. There weren't flowery expressions. You know, think of how we speak nowadays. Oh, it's my birthday. Or, oh, this is the worst day of my life. Nothing was like that. It was all controlled and contained. And I really felt like I'd been struck by lightning. I felt like I now have the keys to this book. If I can mirror the voices of these frontier women, I can access both this character and her world. And I felt like I really 
had an understanding for the first time as to why Karen Hess approached Out of the Dust in the way that she did as a verse novel. Now, I have to confess, I did not tell myself I was writing verse for a really long time because I think that would have terrified me. Okay. And I remember my mom called a few weeks later and she asked, you know, what is it that you're working on right now? And I said to her, well, I don't even know how to talk about it. You know, I'd written maybe 10 or 12 of these poem type things at this point. And I said, but it's the most honest thing I'd ever written. And really, this is the fourth novel. Maybe it was my fourth novel, the first to sell, the fourth that I wrote. Okay. And from a marketing standpoint, it was the least marketable, but the most honest work that I had done. And so I just really held to that. And that's what saw me through. So had you written poetry before that? I had sold two children's poems. So yes, but I mean, little four line poems to a children's magazine. Right. Really no other experience. <laughs> I oh, didn't that's know amazing. <laughs> that's so amazing. Okay, so when you're working on your books, actually, before we get into the next part, so you have another book in verse coming out in 2015, the one I'm reading now, which is called Bluebirds. Has it been a similar experience as you've been writing it where you feel like it's really been in the most, you know, this honest, really raw kind of writing or how's the experience been different for you? Absolutely honest and raw. The thing about verse is that you strip away everything. Children's in general, you don't have a lot of wiggle room as far as the place for like flowery language and lots of description. Now, I mean no disrespect because I love me some Lucy Maud Montgomery. She actually is one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> but if we look at classics and we look at modern children's literature, things are very different now. I mean, what would be acceptable in an Anne of Green Gables with lots of room for description and this sort of thing just doesn't happen anymore. And that's just simply taste and how things have changed over time. And I'm not, again, I love, love, love the classics, but things have changed. Pacing has changed. And as you're you know, building a story, things have changed over the years. Right. And verse is even a further step in that direction. You just are working with kernel of a character, the kernel of the story, everything else is stripped away. And a lot of ways, I feel like I kind of climb inside the character, which is incredibly helpful because it's not always easy to know your characters. And so this opportunity to kind of climb in their skin and see the world through their eyes. This is also something I love for historical fiction, because I think so often historical fiction can feel distant and what would a word be? Well, not uh, pertinent in our lives. And I think verse as a venue for historical fiction is just such a beautiful fit because it makes everything present and real and we are in the moment with the character. Yeah, well, I've noticed that already as I've been reading Bluebirds is that right from the very first line, I felt like I was saddled up right there with the character. Like I've already got a connection with her. And it must be because when you're writing in verse, like you said, I feel like I'm climbing right into her skin. It's very interesting. Thank you. I have to also say I do use first person which this is hilarious. I read a book maybe, oh gosh, 10 years ago. The first time I ever noticed I was reading something in first person, I might've read other things, but this book really kind of hit me as, wow, this is in first person. And that is the weirdest thing in the world. I can't stand it. <laughs> so what do I, what do I, I turn around and write two novels in first person. Right. But again, sometimes it's funny. Some people see that as gimmicky and actually a lot of people see verses gimmicky too. Huh. But what I have found, the author, I need to tell the story in the way that it best suits the characters and the setting and the story itself. And I have found, for me, for these two books, the immediacy that is there with the verse and with the present tense. So when you're working on your books, do you read them aloud to yourself? I do. And I have never sat and read the whole thing front to finish through. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people do that. People who write verse and people who write prose. 
But what I find is I've been reading to myself out loud and then I realize suddenly I'm back in my head and I didn't even notice. Right. But, oh, I am. I talk to myself the whole time. I'll sit in Starbucks and I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of a weird person to be around. <laughs> Verse is very, there is rhythm to it. There is, it's very much like music. And I don't know if it's, I danced ballet for 10 years. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, just kind of the flow of music and the rhythm of language. Again, I write picture books as well, which not all picture books are this way, but oftentimes, again, that's a really distilled way to write and rhythm and structure and every word counting. Both of those things you're going to find in both verse novels and in picture books. And so I just really have been aware of word placement on a page and how words sound and work together. So then would you say, would you consider your books especially well-suited to be read aloud or more suited to read alone? I know the first time I saw one of your books, I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. The whole thing is written in verse. I wonder if I should read this aloud or if I should just hand this to somebody. (laughs) I kind of have a weird philosophy and I'm, you know, there's no, I am not in any way going to sneak to your house and look over your shoulder and scold you for the way you're reading my book. But I have this weird philosophy. And again, there's, there are plenty of ways to read it. But I think the very best way to read poetry, and this is something I used to tell my students, poetry should be seen and heard. And I'm currently rereading the Little House on the Prairie books. I'm taking a free online course about Laura Ingalls, which has just been so much fun. But, you know, again and again, one of the expressions you hear in that series is, you know, children sit at the table, they should be seen and not heard. And so instead of this idea of children being seen and not heard, I like the idea of poetry being seen and heard. A poet tries to communicate both with the language, the rhythm, the imagery in the words, but also with the structure of the poem on the page, either through line breaks or through stanza breaks. And so if you have the opportunity to both see and hear, and so ideally, you would even be reading it aloud. Now, do I do this myself? Not often. But I really think that is the ultimate way to experience verse novels. And one of my favorite conversations I ever had was with a school in Nebraska last year. I was on, maybe was on the Nebraska, the Golden Sower list, which is a list of books for Gosh, I can't even remember now, but the kids read, I think they had to read at least three and then they got to vote on their favorite at the end of the year. And so I had the opportunity to Skype with quite a few schools in Nebraska, which was really, really fun. And one teacher had told me they had read the entire book as a class, but she had projected each page on the wall. And that just gave me chills to realize the kids could hear the words and they could see the words at the same time. And I just really felt like, my gosh, that entire room really got to experience the whole book in its richest form. Right. So if I was to sit and read aloud and my children were to sit next to me and look at the page, that would be pretty ideal. I would love it. A lot like a picture book, you know, as you do, as you read along in a picture book with your children. And again, most of the time they're looking at the pictures, but the words too, again, the verse and and a picture book, they seem really so intertwined for me. So yeah, that would be ideal. Well done. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So I am curious about how one reads poetry aloud because I know I'm intimidated by it and I have heard others say they don't really know how to read poetry either. One of the things that always trips me up is I'm not sure if I should read each line distinctly and then take a little pause or if I should just continue to read it like a long sentence. And so what would you say about that? Let me first start by saying the word poet kind of freaks me out. I, um, as I told you when I was writing, maybe 
I didn't admit to myself it was a verse novel for a long time because, I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid if I picked up something like Out of the Dust, I would kind of crumble on the floor in a ball of inadequacy because I am no Karen Hess. <laughs> the other book I had read, by the way, was Heartbeat by Sharon Creech. You know, she's another Newbery winner. So she has read, has written several verse novels that are just brilliant as well. So again, I, I'd set the bar pretty high. Right. <laughs> so this idea of poet was terrifying because, you know, I was, I had a very distinct picture that I think a lot of people have of someone in their black turtleneck and their beret and dispensing esoteric phrases for the world, things that might or might not be understood. And I just wasn't sure I knew poetry well enough to claim the mantle of poet. So I'll start first with that. <laughs> um, as far as reading it, I think I was thinking about this a few days ago when I got uh, these questions from you and this idea that I have of poetry being seen and heard. I think I really started to develop that idea sitting in English class in high school where we would, as I'm sure you did too, get poetry from our teacher and we would sit and analyze it together. And I would read it and I would sometimes struggle with how it was supposed to sound and what these line breaks were all about. And then my teacher would read it to us and I would feel like I didn't necessarily understand everything better. But as she read it and as I saw it, it really opened up more to me as to what was going on. So line breaks, line breaks are tricky. Sometimes uh, you do pause and sometimes a poet might give you an indication of that with some sort of punctuation. Okay. Other times you might, you might have a couple of words all alone on a line and actually Sarah... I'm going to go back to something we discussed before we went on the air here. Yeah. I told you the poem that I might read for your uh, listeners here. As I was looking at it, I thought, why did I write it that way? <laughs> I might write it differently if I were doing it now. But now looking at it again, I understand why I wrote it that way. Interesting. <laughs> so it's really kind of strange. I, I set two words off by themselves because I wanted those words to be emphasized. So even though rhythmically, I'd like the reader to keep flowing through the sentence, those two words are key to the poem itself. And I wanted them to be emphasized, if that makes any sense at all. Yes, yes, actually. And I wish I had Bluebird sitting right next to me because I was reading it the other day and there was a selection. Man, I should have grabbed it before I sat down here. There was a selection toward the beginning where I think you had the word alone or... I'm going to grab my copy. Okay. Okay. And it was, I believe it was Alice, and she was talking about how she was feeling so alone, and that word alone, or, oh man, lonely, or something like that, was all by itself on a line. And I remember just staring at it for a second, being like, wow, that's really powerful, just by itself. That just, it made me stop, and really, really just had a big impact on me, much more than it would have if it was just written as a normal sentence in prose. Yes, exactly. I love telling kids. and I used to tell my students this. And now when I talk with kids in, in classrooms, I love telling them authors have tremendous power. And what I mean by that is if we're doing our job well, we can pull emotions out of our readers. And so if I can use the way that I have structured a poem on a page to kind of direct your emotion, that is a really powerful thing. So yes, I had you kind of key in on that word alone. And that was, I'm glad that worked for you. love it if you would read a little bit of your verse to us. I will absolutely. This is from Maybe, and 
in May, I know some verse novelists who have a title for every single poem. I find it difficult to come up with a title for a book. So I can't imagine coming up with a title for every poem. I simply gave them numbers. So this is poem 74. And uh, maybe just a little background here, as you mentioned, maybe is part hatchet, part Little House on the Prairie. So it's a survival story told the western Kansas frontier. May has been helping out a young couple, and she is suddenly abandoned and is 15 miles from home and has to try to figure out how to care for herself as a blizzard is approaching. Wow. Okay. So May is thinking back about one of her classmates named Avery. And this poem, I kind of call this my ode to the pioneer woman. As I did my research, I just had such tremendous respect for these women living their everyday lives, just basic everyday lives. And I thought, my word, (laughs) I have it easy. (laughs) And I have so much to learn from just how they lived. Mm -hmm. So this is poem 74. Avery Pritchard told me that when his paws away at night, sometimes a pack of wolves surrounds their soddy. The wolves sense a difference about the place. They howl, they scratch, but mostly they sit and wait. Can they smell that someone's missing? Do they sense the fear inside? Mrs. Pritchard tells the children stories, presses her forehead against the window pane, and says, get on you. Last spring in the early dawn, Mrs. Pritchard took the shotgun and waited by the door. When she heard the wolf pack stirring, she aimed and fired. The pack rolled off like summer storm clouds. One skinny female lay dead. Avery's ma dragged that wolf to the door and left it, a hairy mound at the entrance to their soddy. All day she stepped over it when she went to milk or fetch water. She wouldn't let anyone else outside. When Mr. Pritchard arrived, she didn't say a word, just handed him the shovel and shut the door. Avery's pa buried the wolf out back. Now, when he has business in town, he makes sure to hurry home come nightfall. Mm. I wanted you to keep going. (laughs) I was was waiting for you to keep going. (laughs) I hear that a lot of other parents want to dive into poetry with their kids, but like me, I feel like I oftentimes I don't know where to start. Hearing you read that aloud, just I thought, oh my goodness, yes, I can do that. And that really did make the world, that made the story just come right to life. And so where do we start? How do we, do we just start? <laughs> what would you say? Yes. And let me backtrack just a little bit too. I'm going to go back to my classroom days because I used to teach a poetry unit. I know some teachers feel you shouldn't teach poetry in isolation, that poetry should be a part of your class every day. And I think that is brilliant to share a poem every single day. But I also found that it was really fun to focus on poetry for a few months with my kids. And one of the things that I would start with every year, and it didn't matter if I was in New Mexico, Florida, Virginia, or Louisiana, I had almost the same response no matter where we were. And what it was, was an interview. I would have students go home and interview their parents about poetry. I'd ask them to think of poetry they were familiar with from their childhood and their feelings about poetry now. And almost across the board, there were warm feelings from childhood. And then there was something around the high school time where poetry became this inaccessible, weird thing that was no longer interesting or no longer available. Yes. And I think I want to destroy that myth because you know what? I have bought into it too. And that's exactly what happened when I said I was afraid of the word poet. I will also say as an aside, there are plenty of people out there with very strong opinions that verse novels are not poetry. And so for a long time, you know, I resisted the title and then I kind of gradually took on the title of poet. And I'm kind of at the place I don't really care how people define this type of writing. It is certainly not prose. Perhaps it's a hybrid of prose and poetry. 
in the end, it doesn't truly matter to me anymore because I don't feel like this is a reflection on defining who I am as an author, though I know for a time it did feel that way. If we can all access again those feelings we had before poetry became inaccessible as adults, that is what we can give to our kids. And kids don't have those hangups yet. It's been really interesting to see maybe in the world and how it's been accepted. I was told actually when I was looking for an agent, several people told me, you know, what you've turned in is beautiful. I have no earthly idea how to sell this. Nobody's going to want to buy it. I mean, I was told that sort of thing again and again and again, or it's going to be a really hard sell. And I'd written this thing that was just, you know, nobody really wanted. People said it was nice, but nobody wanted it. And it's been interesting to hear, and I don't want to pick on librarians, but I guess I am for a moment. I love you librarians. You're fabulous people. But it's been surprising to me to hear from a couple of librarians really strong words about verse novels. And they have said, no child wants to read this way, that poetry is not something that kids are interested in, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I kind of think, because again, perhaps the kids that I have encountered that have read maybe are biased because they've read the book and for the most part enjoy it. But I don't think kids have those hangups that we have. They might look at this and say, well, that's kind of weird looking. And then they forget about it and they read the book and they're involved in the story. Right. I think if we can give that to kids, and I feel like now I'm getting all riled up on my soapbox, we can give to kids this gift that these are words on the page that might look different, but my goodness, let's listen to the way that they sound. Listen how musical this is. Look at the ways that the person who's put these words together has created these images and these emotions for you. That's the gift that we're giving to kids. So if we can come in, we can let go of our own hangups. We can understand that sometimes poetry, some poems are hard to understand. That's okay, but not all poetry is like that. So that's where I would start. Now, as for specific concrete ways that we can share poetry with our kids, start simply the picture book. So much of uh, the picture book world is about poetry, which is fabulous. Doesn't necessarily have to rhyme, but again, those condensed, very tight storylines and phrases are great starting points for poetry. Uh, some specific things I can share with you. There is a woman, a professor named Cynthia Vardell, and she runs two different blogs. One is called Poetry for Children, and it's a great, great, great resource. She has links on one side of the page, poetry books that were published in the last, you know, she has like poetry books from 2010, poetry books from 2009. And so you can click through, you can see picture books, you can see verse novels, you can see, you know, for mid-grade and for young adult readers. And so there are all sorts of titles, fiction and nonfiction that have been written for kids in the last few years. Then she also has a blog. Let's see if I can, I've written this down somewhere. Yeah, she's written a book and also has a blog called The Poetry Teacher's Book of Lists, which is simply a collection of lists, as it says. Like if you're looking for poetry about, I don't know, sports, you would be able to access information about those things. Okay. Now, the fun thing about the, yes, it's wonderful. And the blog that she has that kind of showcases this book, The Poetry Teacher's Book of Lists, which is the same title as the book, she has samples in her blog post. She'll go through samples of you know, a holiday poem or a poem about loneliness. And so all of these are there for you to just kind of discover. And she has it based on for younger audiences, for middle audiences and for older audiences. So really books are available and there for you. Well, I also go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's just hearing you read that aloud was really, that's really great. Just totally showcases the whole idea that you were just talking about, about how hearing it and seeing it at the same time 
really make it come to life. Because usually when I look at poetry, I almost, it must be that whole thing that happens around high school age where it becomes inaccessible. Yes. Because usually when I look at a poem, yes. I think I'm not going to be able to understand that. I'm not going to understand why the author did it that way or why wasn't it just written in sentences. Then you read it and I just immediately was pulled in and didn't even want you to stop because I just was so wrapped up in it. So I think that was just, that really, really is making an impact on me, especially as for just start, just start reading it aloud and look at it and read it aloud and let the poetry do its thing on you. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Another thing too for adults, I mean, kids can certainly listen into, but something I love, 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 love. When I would drive to school in Virginia, it would come on, I think around 6.30. And actually I was already in the car at 6.30 in the morning. That's crazy. (laughs) But it's the Writer's Almanac on NPR. Garrison Keillor, if you know Garrison Keillor from the books he's written and from A Prairie Home Companion, which is a program on NPR. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love him so much. His voice is just the most soothing thing. And this is about a five-minute, seven-minute program that uh, different NPR stations air at different times of the day. I think here it's around 9.30, so I don't always catch it. But he basically tells you a little snippet of the literary world. So-and-so was born on this day. This is the day that so-and-so published this book. And he always ends with a poem. And he reads it in that beautiful voice of his. And there are times I think, oh, I'm not going to get this. But again, I don't get to see it. So it's not the perfect, most ultimate way to experience it. But just hearing him walk me through these words, I think, oh my gosh, he's led me down this path. Poetry really, in my opinion, it captures a moment. It's like a snapshot. It's, you know, like a, I see a verse novel as if it were a photo album, just picture upon picture placed right next to one another. And really a a poem is capturing a moment. And I get to kind of walk alongside Garrison Keillor's gorgeous voice and experience this moment with him. And it's just perfect. Okay, I just, as you were saying that, looked him up on iTunes, and there are a selection of some of his Writer's Almanac five-minute portions there for free on iTunes. So I'll link those up in the show notes so everybody can find them. Yes, and you can even, you can even get an email where they'll send you the poems daily. So Ooh, it's, it's cool. good stuff. Okay, very cool. Yes. Well, I am curious to know who's had the greatest influence on your writing 
as you were growing up, you know, which books had the greatest impact on you? I always find these questions super hard. <laughs> I'll tell you what I read, what I loved, loved, loved. As I mentioned before, Lucy Maud Montgomery. My gosh, I loved her. I read all of the Anne books, the Emily books. I read a few more. I think A Tangled Web was probably one that my grandmother gave me, which I absolutely loved. And when I hit high school, I found a friend who owned every single Lucy Maud book, or actually Maud, as she called herself. And so I took home over summer vacation, two huge grocery bags full of the books I hadn't yet read. And I sat on the couch and just devoured them. And I just have loved her ever since. Oh, my daughter's going to love that because the same daughter who just absolutely loves your books, that Lucy Maud Montgomery is her very, very favorite author. So your daughter is my friend. We are literary. (laughs) Exactly. And you mentioned Jamie Martin is before the program began. Jamie and I lived together for a time in, well, not lived together, but we met each other when we both lived in Virginia about, gosh, 15 years ago now. And we quickly discovered that we both loved Laura Ingalls Wilder and Lucy Maud Montgomery. And we uh, discovered just around the same time that there were a collection of journals that Maud had kept from the time she was 14 until she died in her 60s. And we read these and we discussed these. And last year, I decided I was going to read them again. And they have just had, as an author now, you know, her books had a huge influence of me on me as a child. And then reading about her life, which was not easy by any means, but reading about it as an adult and seeing in her private writings, and again, as I told you, I'm nosy and I love that sort of thing, but getting to kind of dig into her life as an adult, as a mother, she was a teacher. She had two boys like I do. She was a pastor's wife, as I am, oh, wow. uh, an author. And so I just felt like, my gosh, this woman's world is fascinating to me. So she's had a huge impact on my writing world and just kind of how I have experienced the writing world. And I have kind of vowed to myself, I'll reread these five journals, these big fat volumes every 10 years. I just feel like they'll be companions for life. But back to the books that influenced me, uh, Laura Ingalls, Lucy Ma Montgomery. I loved Beverly Cleary. I think I even love her more now as an adult. I think she probably, I love all the characters, but I think Ramona Quimby, I have never, ever, ever encountered another character. And it almost makes me cry. Another character that has just, has so masterfully captured childhood. Mm. There is so much passion in the way that that character is created. There is so much humor and rereading these books with my children, rereading them before I started teaching, I realized, my gosh, this is teaching me to be patient with these little people. And this is a reminder of what it's like to be a little person out there in the world trying to make your way. I just think she is a genius. She is a genius, that woman. I was really, I'm not much of a fantasy person per se, but I was crazy about Lloyd Alexander's and I don't know how to pronounce this because I've never said it out loud, Pridean or Pridean Chronicles, which started with the Book of Three. I don't think I have, I don't even think I know what you're talking about. Oh, they are fabulous. They're based loosely on Welsh legends. And I just reread the first one last year. I was amazed by the characterization and how strong it was. It just celebrated its 50th anniversary last year. So, or maybe it was this year. Anyway, I've reread it recently, and I was struck by both how masterfully the characterization was done and how complicated the storyline was. And I, in fourth and fifth grade, I lived these books. I would draw these maps with my best friend, and we would like go on these quests together as, as characters from these books. So these were all just really, uh, I just definitely lived in a book world. 
that's great. My second daughter, she loves fantasy. And I have not read a lot of fantasy, so I have a hard time helping guide her. So that's great. Mm -hmm. I will definitely look those up for her. Yes, they're great. So I love to ask this question. And if that last question you hated, you're really going to hate this one. (laughs) And I prepared. Okay. (laughs) If you were stranded on a deserted island with only three books, what would they be? That's what I thought you were going to say. And this was, again, this really hard. And this is the sort of thing that I feel like is constantly changing for me. But I decided that this time and at this point in my life, I would approach this question in this way. And so I picked three books that I think are both stunning, but also I feel like I could read again and again, not tire of them, and also continue to learn from them in the way that they were constructed. So my first choice is Possession by A.S. Byatt. It's an adult title. It came out, gosh, I remember seeing it for the first time when I was a freshman in college in 1992. So sometime around then, and it ties for first place is my favorite book of all time. The second book that ties. In case you're curious, my second is The Count of Monte Cristo, which I love so much. Oh my gosh. I love that book. (laughs) So Possession, because it is, well, I have a friend, I have a wonderful, wonderful writing friend named Uma Krishnaswamy, who is a professor at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She teaches the in the uh, MFA program, the Master of Fine Arts program for children's literature. And she has just a really generous thing to say about books. She basically says, no book is perfect. But if we as readers can try to read a book with the intent of understanding what the author was trying to say, then we can most appreciate it, if that makes sense. Okay. So no book is perfect, but possession is pretty much there. It is just an incredible book. Oh my goodness. The okay. Next- I love it when I, find- <laughs> I hear about books I've never heard of before because now I'm going to oh, rush out and get it. <laughs> oh, good. And sometimes I have, I actually have a really awful habit of over talking books. And then people are like, what was that all about? Because so I funny. gushed too much. So I'll be quiet now, but it's wonderful. I love it. Okay. And for our listeners, so, I am linking all of these things that Caroline is recommending or mentioning in the show notes. So don't feel like you have to stop your car or stop folding your laundry and jot all these down. My next two, one is a young adult and one is a mid-grade. And I'm not sure if you've ever talked about this before, so I'll pretend you never have. Okay. Young adult is a classification for uh, 12 and up. And mid-grade is typically 8 through 12. Some publishers have it 7 through, oh gosh, or sometimes it's 9 through 13. Sometimes I know Bluebirds is going to be 10 and up, which actually made me happy because it's a little more intense than maybe. Uh, So I think that's appropriate. But typically, 8 through 12 is the general range for mid-grade. Okay, I have never talked about that before, but if I could just ask you a quick question... Yeah. So yes, yes. When they're categorizing books like that, is that for recommended for books to be read? Like, is that based on their reading ability, like what they could read to themselves? Or is it based more on the content of, you know, what is appropriate for that age child? Or I'm going to let you in on the secret. Yes, please. <laughs> Almost always. The very first thing, and this sounds ridiculous, but I think it will make sense once you listen. Almost always the very first marker of determining a book's positioning within the kind of the the age range spectrum is based on the age of the main character. And typically it's discovered that kids are willing to read up. So, for example, a 10-year-old loves to read about a 12-year-old, but a 13-year-old most of the time, this isn't across the board, and of course I'm almost 41 and I still love reading about 
12 year old. So I'm a strange one. But uh, most of the time, kids don't like to read, you know, a 13 year old is not necessarily interested in reading about a 12 year old. And so that is kind of the starting place. And sometimes authors are asked to change the age of a protagonist, if an editor finds that a book feels like it's a better fit for a certain age group. Actually, May started as a 14 year old. And I was asked, even the book really felt middle grade. And as a result, I was asked to consider changing her to 12. And I've found that 12 is just kind of my sweet spot. It's just like a perfect age for me to be writing about. So that's why. Yeah. So that's generally it. Sometimes middle grade and chapter books, the term, well, actually chapter books is the expression chapter book is often used to describe middle grade. And that is not accurate. A chapter book would be the books that those really tiny ones like, oh gosh, uh, Magic Treehouse, for example. Oh, okay. I guess I've always used chapter books just to mean child's Anything novel. Happens. Yeah, <laughs> that's not right. Exactly. Okay. exactly. And actually, the true definition of a chapter book would be the books that fit between the I can read, like the Frog and Toads, or the Little Bear books, those easy readers, and then the middle grade novels. And so by middle grade, they're, they're the transition books where you are moving into independent reading. And middle grade, of course, you can certainly read aloud. I hope you continue reading aloud for a long time in children's lives. But the main intent is that they're reading them on their own. These are the, and for me, I feel like these are the books that kids really discover for the first time on their own and where they really kind of make those lifelong discoveries, those first. Oh, yeah. I was just this morning, I'm just working on a post on first, oh, I was calling it first chapter books, but now I'm going to go back and change it to first middle grade novels. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But I was contemplating that those are the books that had the biggest impact on me as a lifelong reader. I mean, Roald Dahl and Ramona Quimby, you know, Beverly Cleary, Roald Dahl, those are the authors that really turned me into a lover of books and had the best impact or the most profound impact on me as I was growing up. Absolutely. And that's, you know, it's funny that because I've had well, and I'm so going off base here, I will come back to my other two books. (laughs) I've had well-intentioned, well-read friends who've asked me, you know, when will you write your book for adults? And what I hear in that, I don't think their intention is to be unkind. (laughs) But what I hear is what you're doing now is practice work that, you know, the best work should be reserved for the grownups. And those people who write for adults are fabulous and brilliant. Some of my dearest friends write beautiful things for adults. But let me tell you, I want my best work to be for the young people. And here I am on my soapbox again. I want to transform lives the way my life was transformed by literature when I was a kid. And if I have the permission and the ability to extend dignity to young lives through what I create, my gosh, how amazing is that? What an amazing thing I get to do. Yes. Well, and I think there's a quote, and I'll need to look it up. This is like the third time on a podcast that it's come up where I wanted to quote C.S. Lewis. I need to just pull up the quote so I always have it. What's that? Is it the quote where uh, reading a book in childhood? Yes. yes. Coming back to it as an adult. Oh, how I don't remember how it goes. But yes, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, Yes, it's something for our listeners. It's something about, oh, here we go. I found it. A children's story that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to you. So you said... Two more books. Yes. So I've got Possession, ASIAD. I'm going to be loving that on my wonderful island. And then the other two, my young adult title is called, I don't remember if it's Where Things Come Back or When Things Come Back. It's by John Corey Whalen. 
it was a debut novel. So the very first book that I, he, he goes by Corey, the very first book that Corey had ever written. And it had the distinct honor of winning both the Morris Award and the Prince Award. The Morris Award is a book that American Library Association bestows the first week of January every year. And if you're really into kids' books, you can watch these broadcasts live on the computer. These are the awards like the Newberry, the Caldecott, all of these amazing awards. It's a little bit like the Academy Awards, and you can watch it online the third Monday of every January, unless there's a presidential election, and then it's the fourth Monday. Okay, but Corey, tell me what it's called again. What are the awards? The called? American Library Association Awards, ALA. ALA. Okay. okay. And you can find that online, and it's really, really fun. Okay. So, Corey won both the Morris and the Prince Award. The Morris Award is given to young adult, a very first young adult novel, so a debut novel. And then the Prince Award is the equivalent of the Newberry, but for young adults. So it is given for the most distinguished young adult title of the entire year. So to win both of these awards is amazing. The book, again, Uma, my lovely friend Uma, who says no book is perfect. These books I'm telling you about are really close to it. It is like a piece of music. It's the only way I can describe it. And the crescendo, the way things build to the end, it's unbelievable. So I could read this book for pleasure again and again, and I could read it to learn again and again. So again, that's when things come back or where things come back. Where things come back. And then my final choice is one that I read. It was written a few years where where things come back and there's a woodpecker on the front you might have the version that has a just a silhouette of a bird then my last one is a mid-grade title so again actually you know what sarah i'm going to confuse things here mid-grade as i told you is eight to twelve this book has been both you'll find this sometimes on the young adult shelf and you'll sometimes find it on the mid-grade shelf so (laughs) i'm going to further complicate things okay Uh, it is about a kid oh gosh he's in middle school i want to say i think he's middle school yes and the book is called, uh, okay, it's the companion novel to The Wednesday Wars. What's it called? Okay for Now. Okay for Now by Gary Schmidt. Oh, my goodness. You've listed three it's, books I have never I even say heard it of. Was, it was a finalist. Oh, my gosh. You're going to enjoy yourself. It, I want to say it was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2013, I want to say. Gary Schmidt is incredible. He also has, you know, as I talked about um, Beverly Cleary, I also feel this way about Catherine Patterson. They just have a really strong sense of childhood and writing with compassion and really showing what life is like for a young person. And I just, this book, I know I keep using this word masterful in such a way that it probably strips it of its meaning, but this book (laughs) is just incredible. So it was one of those things I felt like I just need to talk about this. Who has read this book? Who wants to talk to me about this book? So amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Okay, well, I've got these all listed up. They'll be linked up in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to get your hands on those, that'll be an easy place to find them. I'm excited because I've never heard of any of those. So Amazon cart's going to explode yet again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Caroline, this has been so much fun and so helpful and inspiring to me to just get into poetry and to introduce it to my kids and not be intimidated by it. And so thank you so much for spending time with me today. This has been so much fun for me. So thank you so much, Sarah. Now, where can our listeners find you online? I have a website, carolinestarrose.com. And star has two R's. So if you type that out, you're going to actually have three R's in a row. You'll find my blog there and all sorts of other good things. I'm also on Twitter, 
I think I'm C Star Rose there. And then I'm on uh, Facebook as author Caroline Star Rose. Okay. Is that a pen name or is that your real name? That is my real name. Oh my goodness. My daughter was like, mom, do you (laughs) think that that's a pen name? It's just so poetic. (laughs) Well, you can pass this on to her. When I was in middle school, having the middle name Star was like the worst burden any 12-year-old should have to carry. Oh, my goodness. Especially growing up in the 80s when all my classmates wanted to know, were your parents hippies? <laughs> and do you have sisters named Moonbeam and Sunshine at home? you're like, no, I don't. But now I love it. Now I love oh, it. I bet you do. You couldn't. I mean, that's just it's just perfect. It's just perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you so much. And we appreciate all of the insight that you've shared with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hello, my name is Evie Nelson. I'm 13 years old and I live in Missouri. My favorite read aloud book is A Lion to Garment by Clyde Robert Bola. The story is about a young girl named Amanda Freeman. Along with her younger brother and sister, they endure many hardships on their way to America and search of their father. Hello, my name is Jacob Nelson. I am 11 years old and live in Macon, Missouri. My favorite read aloud book is Star of Light by Patricia St. John. This story is about a boy named Hamid. Hamid has a blind sister named Kinza. He is trying to save from slavery. Hello, my name is Elise Nelson. I am nine years old and I am from Macon, Missouri. My favorite read aloud book is Little Bridges by Ralph Moody. The story is about a little boy who moves to Colorado to become a farmer. My favorite part in the book is when Ralph gets bucked off the donkey. Ralph has many exciting adventures. Gosh, I just love that part. Thanks kids for calling in. I really enjoy hearing about your favorite books. If your child would like to leave me a message and get featured on the show, head to readaloudrevival.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to do that. It's super easy and it totally makes my day when I get those messages in my email inbox. Links to Caroline Star Rose's books and website are in today's show notes, of course. And I just dearly love it if you left her a note to thank her for coming on the show in the comments there. Head to readaloudrevival.com and click on episode 15 to do that. I'll let you in on a little secret. Part of what I'm so crazy excited about for next year here at the Read Aloud Revival is some live author events that I'm in the process of getting ready now. One of those author events is going to be a live video webinar with Caroline Star Rose. All of your kids are invited and she's going to give us a peek into what it's like to write her stories. Then there will be an opportunity for your kids to ask questions and have her answer them right there in real time on your screen. Pretty cool, right? Get yourself over to readaloudrevival.com and grab your Jumpstart Challenge materials. And that way, I'll have a way to send you a note with more details about the live author events and lots of other cool stuff that will be happening here next year. It's going to be tons of fun. Well, I think that's it for today. I'm always kind of bummed when it's time to sign off. Come chat with me in the comments of the show notes and hey, go build your family culture around books. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.